So a woman who was walking around the mall, finishing up her Christmas shopping, I'm sure a lot of you can identify with this. Well, she was tired of going through all the stores and going up and down all the aisles and trying to figure out what should I get Joe and what should I get Sam and what should I get Elizabeth and Sue and all the different ones. You have to try and come up with the best gift and you look at this, well, this will probably work and you put that in the cart and you go into the next store and from each store that you go, you know that you're taking your credit card and you're adding more and more and more. And so she's thinking about all the things she's adding to her credit card bill. She's thinking about all the things she still has to do. She's got packages she's carrying, just getting frustrated. And she comes to the elevator in the mall and the door opens and the elevator is full. And she just... Well, they see her plight in the elevator and so they all kind of squish in a little bit more and they give a little bit room for her and her packages and she squeezes on in. And as they are riding up to the next floor, she lets out, she says, whoever came up with all this Christmas junk ought to be taken out, strung up and shot. A bunch of people around there just started agreeing and said, yeah, that, that ought to be just kind of another breath. But out in the back in the... Uh, low, low voice, low tone came up. He says, don't worry, they already crucified him. <laughs> Boy, that'll wake you up to the meeting of the season real quick, won't it? <laughs> yeah, we got to make sure we stay focused on what's going on. And those few folks who have been around here for a number of years know that one thing we don't, well, I don't usually do, is holidays don't dictate what we teach. I keep on going the same thing we need to. Every once in a while we have uh, veered off on Christmas and we've done some Christmas series and done some teaching on that. But it'd be a shame every time this year that's, that's all we taught or the only time we taught it. We ought to teach those things, those principles when they're necessary. But just for some of you folks who just want to have a little bit of Christmas stuff, we've worked some of that in here just for you. So just for that, turn over to Matthew chapter 2. We have been studying on being faithful and true, learning from the Word of God that every person thinks they are faithful. Proverbs tells us that. Everyone thinks that they're faithful, that they're righteous, that that what they're doing is, is good. But God says the faithful ones are few and far between. The faithful ones as far as God is concerned. And so we endeavored in this series to take a look at what is faithfulness to God. Because I must know what it is to be faithful to God. If all of us think we are faithful... And God says only a few of you are, then our understanding of it must not be His. And what we think we're doing to get rewards for faithfulness isn't quite going to work <laughs> when we get to heaven. We want to make sure that we're doing what He says. We looked in the Word of God where it says, Where your, what is? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There will your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If we do not know what treasure we have in heaven, we cannot say our heart is there. You may want to have your heart there. You may want to have your heart in all the things of God. But if you do not know what your treasure is, you cannot say that your heart is there. And we haven't quite got into all that yet. We're still laying out some things, what we need to do to fully understand that. But as we got into that, we also looked at the, the idea that salvation is not what he's speaking about. How many are glad that you're saved? I know I am. And that's a reward we have. But everybody has that reward. What is specifically your reward? You folks who are up here, what's your reward for the musical things that you do? And the way that you inspire people with that? Because I don't get any of that. There is absolutely no musical ability in me at all. 
whole lot in my father. Whole lot in him. He probably got more. He got, probably got so much, none of it else filtered out. But I got none of it. There was not a bit that came to me. I tried to take piano, tried to take drums. It didn't work at all. I just, it just it didn't click. There's no musical talent in me at all. I can't carry a tune for anything. I just like to sing and I enjoy music, but I can't necessarily. So I don't get that reward. I mean, I shouldn't get your reward. Some of you folks who have a, have a different area of ministry, I'm not going to get your reward. You're not going to get my reward. Teachers get one reward. People who aren't teachers get a different reward depending based upon what you're doing. But if you do not know what your treasure is, what is specifically coming to you, Vanessa has to know what is specifically coming to me because if she does not, her treasure will not be in heaven. That's why it's important that you, you know it. But you see, the devil will come along and I'll tell you, nah, that's pride. That's just pride. You don't need to know. Just serve God to serve God. Just being that right? I mean, doesn't that sound spiritual? Just serve God to serve God. Glory to God. We'll just do that. How many of y'all play basketball, volleyball, or any other sport? Anything at all? Three of you. Very good. We have an athletic church. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't mean professionally. I just mean for fun. If you get an out there, just have fun. Doesn't it change when you keep score? Doesn't the whole game change? I mean, you're playing... And you're just not keeping score. There's an intensity to it, but it's not real big. But as soon as you start keeping score, what happens? Oh, man. It changes things. Why? Because there's a reward. You win. That's a reward. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. And so suddenly you're, you're casually playing. Now all of a sudden, what's in it? My heart's in it now. I'm diving for balls or whatever it is that you're, you're in there, whatever the sport is, you're, you're going all out because your heart's there. God wants your heart to be there. So He has specifically told us things in His Word of rewards we will get for certain services, certain things that He does. How many of you love your job? We have less people who love their job than are athletic. <laughs> there we go. We have, we have some. If you love, your, you love your job, there's a certain love that you have for it. Everybody likes it. But if they were not going to pay you, how much would you love it then? Would you love it as much to show up every day if they weren't going to pay you? Because there is a reward, it puts your heart in it, doesn't it? So we know our hearts in our job because of the reward. We know our hearts in the volleyball game or the basketball game or the football game because of the reward. How about dating? Is there a reward for dating? Isn't it nice to have the affections of that person you're trying to woo? Isn't that a reward? Doesn't your heart get in it because you think maybe she'll say yes and she'll go out? Maybe he'll ask me out to dinner. Or isn't there a reward in that? Doesn't your heart get involved? If the person you were thinking of was ugly, does that change the heart that you have in it? it certainly does. You must know what your reward is. If you do not know what your reward is, you are ignoring the teachings of Jesus who says where your Treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't ignore that. You must know it. We looked at some things. We looked at patterns of faithfulness. 
Last time we looked at hindrances to it. We're still going to be on that aspect of it. In Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was glad. Why is Herod troubled? Because he's the king. We got a new king in town. He don't like that. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now we've talked about this before. The wise men did not follow a star to where Jesus was. They saw the sign in the heavens and knew to go to Judea. They knew this from where? Test your knowledge when we've gone back on this before. They knew this from, more than likely, Daniel. Daniel was in this group, added his teachings to it. He became a respected member and he put his things in. This is why they were looking for it. They were diligent to do so. Daniel was diligent in the Word. And if you went back in the Word of God and you saw where this was prophesied, you say, what in the world are we looking for a star for? But Daniel somehow got revelation on this. And he included it into the teaching and it came right on down to the wise men that were out here. And so that's why they came and they were looking for this. And then the star appeared or whatever it was that shown them. It appeared again. And then they went on over. But Herod is upset at this. Now, Jesus has come to this earth as a gift from who? God. What was God's purpose in this? Was, is God going to get anything out of this? Who's the one who, who benefits from this? We do. We benefit from it. How many of you all are going to give some presents on uh, Christmas Day? And the recipient, of course, benefits the most. But don't you get some benefit out of it? Don't you, you, know, you enjoy seeing them and all that sort of But the person who gets the gift really gets most of the benefit. We get most of the benefit out of this. And so since this is here to benefit us, God has given this gift in, in Jesus, you would think that we would be grateful. How many of you have ever given a, a, a Christmas present to a child and seen something less than gratefulness come from them? That didn't especially bless you that they did it. <laughs> didn't like that a whole lot. Well, we're finding out that uh, God sees that. He sends Jesus on down there. Here's the Christ child. Here's the Messiah. And already they want to kill him. Already they're after him. And so he says, you've got to go home another way. We've got to get them out of there. Take them on down to Egypt. and Take them on down to Egypt. You all know the Christmas story from there. So God didn't run into a whole lot of welcome stuff there. Even when Mary was going to give birth, how many people were around? Glory to God! Now, well, we, we kind of ran out of room. A lot of things going on here. Tell you what, you can stay in the stable. Well, everyone is thinking he might come. Weren't they all talking about that? Everybody's thinking he might come, but no one is expecting him. 
No one was expecting him, so no one was looking out for the gift. No one was going to take care of it once it came. When the king hears of it, he sees a rival. He sees a rival. Now, from here on out, it really gets good. He teaches the truth from God. And those who study the things of God reject it as truth. Those who are the leaders of that day, of, the, of God's people, reject Jesus' teaching as being truth, call it false, and try and undermine it every way that they can. How many are up there with God and say, boy, they really appreciate this gift I gave them. I gave them Jesus. I gave him knowledge for them to teach them. So he goes out from there. He heals their sick, their deaf, their lame, cleanses the lepers, raises the dead, and casts out demons, and they reject his method and schedule. They don't like the fact that he does this on the Sabbath day. They don't like the way that he does it. He gives lots of money to the poor, and they criticize the offerings he receives. That doesn't sound like anything like today, does it? Now, I know it's not recorded where he gave money to the poor, but it happens so often. We've talked about this before. When Judas was there at the Last Supper, he leaves. What do they all think he's going out to do? Give to the poor, which meant they did it often. How else can you come to that conclusion if you're the disciples? So he gives lots of money to the poor, but they pick on him for the offerings he gets. He performs miracles they had never seen, and they plot how to kill him. On the way to the cross, they vividly, cruelly beat Mock him. Vivid, vivid cruelty. I mean, that. Oh. have you ever heard somebody really describe what all went on in the crucifixion? It is gory. It is bloody. If you don't like the, the sound of that sort of stuff, make sure you stay away when you hear that. We won't get into all that today. But, oh, the things that they did to him. Horrible things. Leading up to the cross. And then they put him on the cross and he's there. He, God knows he has to, he has to die. But the way they crucified Him, the way they killed Him, the way they mocked Him. How many of you, if you are Jesus, are thinking that your gift is not appreciated? Not liking this a whole lot. This gift is not appreciated. And it didn't just stop with uh, God and, and Jesus. You go up uh, to the rest of it too. Moses. God gave the gift of Moses to Israel to lead them out. How appreciative of they were of Him. Of him. Of the things that God did through Moses. How appreciative were they? When, he, uh, when they ran out of water, they start complaining and murmuring. And they bring water from a rock. They run out of water again, they complain and murmur again. They don't learn from the past experience. They get food from heaven every day and they start complaining that it's kind of bland and uh, kind of ordinary and we're used to this stuff all the time. Complain. Elijah comes in there to try and help... Help Israel avert being judged by God. How much has he received? Jeremiah does the same thing. Comes in trying to help people repent and get out. And they abuse him, just imprison him, just beat him. Isaiah the same way. Daniel, he came, he came up against opposition as well. Well, there's a whole lot of folks, and you can go through it. We've only touched the, the beginning of it whole lot of people in the Word of God. Either gifts given by God for us, or of course Jesus Christ who was the gift for our benefit. Paul went around teaching people how to get, how to be set free, how to walk into things of the church, and, and how much did they receive Him. There is nothing worse than when you do something kind and you do something nice 
and you do something good and people spit on it. Treat it as nothing. Doesn't that bother you? How many of you enjoy when that happens? I hope after today you will. When people do this to you, you have an opportunity to receive a reward that you'll never get any other way. You should count it all joy when people take what you meant as good and spit on it and abuse it. You should count it as joy. You say, Glory to God. Did you see what they did? <laughs> you know what? We don't get joyful, do we? In First Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you, if you take a page, I'm sorry, missed it. This is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us a what? Leaving us a, an example. Jesus Christ was an example we should follow. We told you everything in the Word of God that you should do is not only taught in the Word of God several times, it is demonstrated. Don't ever live your life by something that's one obscure verse that you can't find anybody doing. Jesus Christ was an example. So He suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Whose steps should we follow then? Why is it we don't? When what we have given as good is spit upon, why is it we don't follow in His footsteps? Why do we follow in another's? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who, when He was reviled, did not revile in return. That's a hard one, huh? Is that not the example that Jesus left us? How many have ever been reviled? <laughs> we know what that word means, don't we? We've been reviled. And what's our natural response? Oh man, we're, we're, you want to come after me? I got stuff on you. <laughs> and we're going to come after them. We meet revile with greater revile. But that's not the example we had. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Jesus Christ is the example. He is the one we are to follow. He has been reviled, and we need to study how He was reviled. He has suffered. He has done good and been abused for it. If you want to have His reward, you must follow His example. You cannot get the reward that He got doing what you want. You may want to be that way, but that's not what you're going to get. When serving God, do people get in the way? Come on, when you've been serving God, do people get in the way? Absolutely they do. They got in the way of Jesus. People got in the way of Moses. People got in the way of Daniel. People got in the way of Isaiah. People got in the way of John. People got in the way of Peter. People got in the way of uh, Paul. 
The list goes on, doesn't it? When serving God, do people seem ungrateful? Have you ever served God, served people, and found that people were ungrateful? Boy, aren't you unique. That's never happened before in the history of Christendom. Were people ungrateful for what God did? Were people ungrateful for what Jesus did? Do people get mad at your kindness? No, huh? Have you ever done anything at an act of kindness in a kind way and people got mad at you? Two of you. That's good. <laughs> when serving God, have people disappointed you? <laughs> we have been disappointed by people. Now, I know that this isn't true, but just think about it. Have you ever disappointed anyone else? They have only disappointed you, right? You have never disappointed anyone else. They have disappointed you, but it's never gone the other way around. That's why you judge them so harshly because you have never disappointed anyone and they should not disappoint you. Glory to God. <laughs> oh, man. If it were only true. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, not to what? Now, we spent more time on this before and we got into what each of these words meant because it's a little bit different from how most people read this. We're not going to... We're just going to try to get through a little quicker here. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek... Come here, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> turn the other turn the other off to give him the other one if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic let him have your coat also and whoever compels you to go one mile go within two give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you do not turn away you have heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Isn't that easy? Isn't it easy to love those that are nice to you and hate those that are mean? But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, we spent a lot more time on this than we're going to today. But we went over each of those things because we read that on the surface and we get a different meaning to what he was talking about. But we're just going for the overall meaning here. If you want to get into all the specifics of this and, and what each one meant, we'll, we'll get the tape back there tell you where it is. It's probably still up on the internet even. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the, ice, on the unjust and ice storms on everyone. Amen. Just thought we'd put that in just for today. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So he's saying this, if you are nice to people who are nice to you, if you are kind to people when you act kindly to them, receive it gratefully. If you do all this with people, what 
reward have you? The sinners do this. Which is to tell you folks that God is willing to give a special reward to those who go above what the world is willing to do, who go beyond what man thinks we ought to do. And when they see an opportunity to repay good for evil, they seize it. They take it. But how many? When we're out there in the world, especially even in the church, and church people spit on what we did that was good, right? How many of you, how do we want to respond? respond? Well, I'll show you. <laughs> I can spit further than you can. Right? Don't we want to come? Yeah, we're not putting up with that. But don't you see, as soon as you do that, you lose the reward. You had an opportunity. Thank God for people in this world who spit on the good that you try and do. Everybody together. Thank God for the people in my life who spit on the good that I do. Now, you do that for a little while, eventually you'll mean it. I know you don't mean it just yet, but you're going to get there eventually. Thank God for the people in your life who spit on everything good that you try and do. They are not a hindrance to you being faithful. They are not a hindrance. They are an opportunity for you to get a reward that you could get no other way. If those people were not in your life, you could not get the reward He is speaking of. How many want that reward? I want to go after this. He is saying that I have that opportunity. This is His Word, isn't it? So when people come up and they spit on the good that you try to do, go before God and say, Father God, somebody spit on me today. (laughs) And I was real nice back. That's a reward for me, isn't it? And God says, "Uh uh-huh. Yep. But you see, you can't just do it outwardly and inside grumble. Because God doesn't just look at the actions. He looks at the... It's all gone. You know that verse. You can't pretend to be ignorant anymore. You already know that verse. If God looks at the heart, you've got to make sure that what's on the inside... This is what you are. Don't be one of these people who says, well, I wanted to say something, but I didn't. Glory to God, I'm going to get a reward. You got nothing. You got nothing. Just a bunch of frustration, keeping all that stuff penned up. God wants your heart to be turned in such a way that you don't see these people as hindering you. You see these people as giving you an opportunity. And you see that as, you know, Jesus, you had an opportunity to do good to people who spit on the miracles that you did, who cast horrible questions and abusive things at you when all you did to do was was good. I'm going to follow in your example and I'm going to do like you did and I'm going to get that reward. That's the reward I want. I'm going to go after that one. Anybody getting a little bit more excited about loving these people? Four of you. Well, we're doing better. We'll get the rest of you. When people do these things to me, they give me an opportunity to respond as God did. They give me an opportunity to receive a reward I could not achieve on my own. 
You cannot achieve this reward on your own. You can only get it when people give you the opportunity. Now, do understand this. Most times, people will not give you this opportunity after you've had an hour prayer session, worship session, built up on the Word of God coming out of that. Usually it comes after great frustration here and great frustration there. And then it comes in there and it just hits you. And it just comes up from the inside and you just want to spit back. Right? Don't do it. They are not a hindrance. Everybody say it together. They are not a hindrance. They are a blessing in disguise. They don't even know they're a blessing. They don't even know that they're a blessing. But you look and say, glory to God, this is a blessing. <laughs> if you can look at people who spit on your good actions, if you can look at them as a blessing in disguise, doesn't that change you on the inside? It changes you. If you can get rid of that bad attitude, and you can come in there and say, I'm just going to bless them. Father God, what do you want me to do for them? How do you want me to help them out? What can I do? And bless them. But that's not exactly how we've been trained, is it? Psalm 34. We're going to read the whole thing. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is a psalm that David wrote when he was facing Abimelech. I'm sure that you all know that story. <laughs> Some of you do anyway. That's when he was... Uh, uh, found out who he was, and so they he had pretended himself to be mad, had the the spit run down into his beard, and they saw him as a madman. Ah, oh, this guy's no threat, and they let him go. This is when he wrote this: "I will bless the Lord at all times." How many times? At all times. You mean when you are stuck in the ball, in a long line, and you finally get up to pay for the thing? And your wallet's in the car? Is that one of those times? When you're driving up to the mall and the whole thing is filled with cars and you finally see one and you patiently wait for the person to pull out to, so that you can get in there and somebody else scoots in and takes it from you? Those times? <laughs> Certainly not those times. I will bless the Lord at His praise shall. Can you have the praise of God in your mouth while you are grumbling and complaining about your people around you? Mm. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all, all, all. <laughs> All my fears, they looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all. What? The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now some of you are looking at it and say, glory to God, he saved him out of all his troubles. I looked at this verse differently. I thought, troubles? We need trouble. I thought we got born again, trouble got left behind. Right? 
Once we got born again and our spouse got born again, we both became perfect people and we didn't have any trouble anymore. When you marry a born-again spouse and you have born-again children, they don't give you any trouble. When you move into a born-again house, that house does not give you any trouble. When you buy a born-again car, because it's born-again, because you're born-again, born-again people bought that born-again car, that born-again car won't give you any trouble. When you move in with a group of church people who are also born-again, they don't give you any trouble. When a police officer pulls you over for disobeying something and you flash your born-again card? (laughs) How is it that Christians have trouble? Why is it that Christians have trouble? How many of you have sat there and had trouble and thought, I shouldn't have this trouble! I'm a Christian! I'm born again! God's supposed to be on my behalf fighting for me! Why do I have trouble? How come I got a pay decrease? How come I didn't get the bonus? Why did I lose this? How come this went away? Why did this break down? Why didn't God warn me? (laughs) Christians aren't supposed to have trouble. But you cannot be delivered from all trouble unless you have. So every time you see this, just understand, I'm going to have trouble. But, he'll get me out of it. Now, on the same token, understand this. When trouble finds you, don't get out there and get all grumbling and complaining about it. It's just trouble. What's the big deal? It is just trouble. God delivers you out of it. Stop looking at it like it's some big deal. How many of you are in trouble right now? You got some trouble going on in your life? You got something going on that's not right? Something that's not where you want it to be? There's some trouble going on? How many of you have let that trouble become bigger because you saw yourself as in the trouble not delivered from it? Or you saw yourself, I shouldn't be in this trouble. And you get grumbled and mad and talk to God, I shouldn't be in this trouble. It's all gone for Psalm 34. Why don't we just skip that one? The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. And the angel of the Lord camps around all those who fear him and delivers them. The who does? That's a pretty good guy to have on your side if you're in trouble. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. There's what? No want to those who? It didn't say believe in him. Said, fear him, didn't it? There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Well, he's just built up what the fear of the Lord is going to do for us. I think he ought to teach it to us. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from. Keep your tongue from evil. Is this not the fear of God? We saw before in the, uh, some time ago, I believe Doug was even getting on, into it. Be slow to speak. Let your heart teach your mouth what to speak. Be slow to speak. He says here, keep your tongue from evil. When someone spits on your good things that you have done, how many of you want to have evil come out of your mouth? Well, that two-faced no good. 
Are you walking in the fear of God? If you are not walking in the fear of God, can the angel of the Lord be there to protect you? Can the Lord deliver you from all your trouble if you're not walking in the fear of God? Walk in the fear of God. Don't walk in the fear of men. Walk in the fear of God. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace. Seek peace and pursue it. How many have had somebody spit on your good and you did not seek peace? You did not pursue it. You found all kinds of ways to let other people know this person let you down. This person didn't do the thing they were supposed to do. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of... And the Lord is near. So He delivers them out of all their troubles and the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Don't have that prideful spirit that says, I'm so much better than everybody else and these people that have spit on me. Mm. Don't get that way. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Oh, why did he have to do that? That's just not right. Why does he write things like this? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of half of them. Right? Well, you see, you say all, but you believe half. (laughs) If you believed all, you wouldn't be grumbling and complaining every time you're in trouble. Hello. Would you? If you believed that God was delivering you out of the trouble that you are in right now, you would not be complaining about it. If you believed you were being delivered from it, your conversation would change. Hi, Vanessa. How you doing? Oh, if you only knew. <laughs> she came up to me and, how you doing? Oh, it's, it's, it's about as bad as it's ever been. Am I believing? I'm believing that maybe God will deliver me out of half of them. But not all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones... No, Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be con- condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of His servants and none of those who trust in Him shall be condemned. Believe this stuff. Don't just read it. Believe it. Go over it. Mull over it. You keep mulling over your problems. You keep mulling over your troubles. And out of your mouth comes words that are disbelief that God is going to deliver you out of them. They are words that continue the matter to go on. Well, my car's always give, always has given me trouble. I imagine it'll always be that way. Yeah, this house has to get fixed again. Uh, we'll get this fixed and something else will come up after that. I just know it. It's always something with this house. This job's never gone all that great. Don't like my boss. Don't like the co-workers. I don't like the pay. I don't like the building. Well, then just quit. No, I need a job. Ah, Come on. Believe that God's going to deliver you out of these things. Quit it. 
Psalms chapter 37, verse 1. Do not... It just gets worse. Do not fret because of evildoers. How many of y'all know how to fret? How many are good at fretting? Do not fret. Now, he doesn't seem to leave room here that there's good fret and bad fret. He just, it's all bad. Go, get out of here. It's all wrong. Do not fret because of evildoers. Don't evildoers make you fret? Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. You certainly have never done that. You have never desired after somebody who has a better job and a better house and a better car who's unsaved, have you? For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and withers as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light of your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him and do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. That's almost as bad as do not fret. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. How many of you had people spit on the good that you did and you felt anger on the inside about that? What's he say? Cease! Cease! And forsake wrath. So in case you're, you know, well, I'm I'm not angry, I'm wrathful. (laughs) Do not fret. So cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It only causes harm. Man, he makes it tough. He makes it hard. But when you can get renewed on this thing, that every time somebody spits on the good that you have done, when you have sown for God, you have done things that God asked you to do, God wanted you to do, and people have spit on it, glory to God. They just gave me an opportunity for a reward. <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're a believer or unbeliever. you got an opportunity for a reward, folks. Take it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also Whatever you sow, you will reap. So if you sow anger, if you sow wrath, if you sow fret, if you sow discord, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not grow weary while doing good. Can we do this? Haven't we sown, heard things like this before taught? And we start sowing good, sowing good. And people spit on our good. And I do what I'm supposed to do. And we do that for a week. It's pretty spirit. I did it for a week. I didn't get nothing. 
He says what? Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If we do not lose heart. Therefore we have opportunity. Let us do good to all, especially... Oh, he didn't say that, did he? Therefore we have opportunity. Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, believers, the ones that you expect more of who don't do as much as they should, especially them. Those are the ones in particular do. Keep sowing. When you, when you face something in your job, when you face something in your house, when you face something in your family, when you face something with your spouse or your kids, and it's trouble, speak out of your mouth words that I am being delivered from this. Stop seeing these situations as hindering you. They did not hinder God. God gave Jesus Christ as a gift down on this earth. And even though we spat on Him, even though we abused Him, even though we despised Him, God did not stop doing what He did. He kept it going on. No matter what. Keep going. Keep going that way. Put this in your outline. What I do for God. How many of you believe you're doing things for God? Now understand, this is, these are two... I, I forgot the gold star. Didn't put the gold star there. This is the gold star principle right here. These two. This is for your book. Write it in at home. What I do... This is simple. You all know it. Drag it out a little bit long. What I do for God, I do to others. Please understand this. What I do for God, I do to others. Is that not a biblical principle? Does He not teach you what you do to the least of these? You do also to... So what I do for God, I do to others. Now here's the second part. Real important. What I do for God, I do for God. Can you see that? What I do for God, I do to others. But what I do for God, I do for God. We think that I do it for others. And because I think I'm doing it for others, I expect a certain attitude. Appreciation. And not spit. Isn't that right? That's what we expect. And people become a hindrance to me being faithful. We talked last week about the hindrances. This is the other part of it. You must not let people hinder you. Jesus didn't. Elijah didn't. Elijah did for one time in his life. But then he got snapped out of it. Moses didn't. Initially he did. He went out to the backside of the wilderness and stayed out there because of people. Because they didn't do, they didn't respond to him the way he expected to. He, when he had presented himself as the Savior, the Deliverer, he ran away. It took God quite a while to get him back. What I do for God, I do to others. But what I do for God, I do for God. I wrote these things next to mine. The first is the how, the second is the why. The first is the how, the second is the why. Never lose sight of why you do what you do. 
You do it for God. The moment you switch that and do what you do for people, it's the moment you will walk in a direction that will lose your reward. Do what you do for God. That's the reason. But do it to others. Love other people. It's the hardest thing in the Christian circle to do is to love others the way He loved us. Hardest thing in the world. But it's the one that brings you the reward. Do what you do for God to others. But do what you do for God for God. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can learn that even though people spit on the good that we would do, even though people despise us for things we intended in a good way, even though people speak badly about us when we had good intentions, even though all these things are true, we do what we do for You. We do it for You unto others. Help us never to lose sight why we do this, why we're faithful, why we continue on. For You are the God who delivers us out of all of our troubles. You didn't promise a lifestyle void of trouble. You just promised us deliverance from them. So we're going to walk in that way. Walking in the fear of God. Not letting evil come out of our lips. Not letting our speech be harmful or hurtful. But seeing every opportunity as an opportunity to sow to You. For what we sow, we know we will reap. We thank You for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.